0: fellowship. I hear people talking, but I know uh, our time is limited. It's five o'clock, and with me being an operations person, we just have to start on time. I can't help it. Uh, So, uh, first off, thank you to all of you that are here tonight. Uh, Anybody that's also watching online, thank you uh, for tuning in to watch us tonight. Uh, I do not know Brother Jerry Barrett that well. But I don't know if you're like me that sometimes when he says things, for some reason, the way he says them makes me think. And this is a compliment, so I promise I'm going somewhere with this. And he he said something about our um, members that are are watching online, and and something went through my mind. And I want you to recall a couple of verses, and it says where two are together, two are together together, there I am in the midst, right? If Two are together, there I am in their midst. We've always defined that physically together. Uh, But I think in this unique scenario, especially with what we're doing now, God's a spirit. And uh, God doesn't have these issues we have with having to be in physical locations. And i never thought about that. And somebody, the way he said that, I don't know why that went through my mind. I was like, you know, Jesus healed somebody, and he wasn't even in the same city when he healed them. Uh, So keep that in mind. So I just want to say, I want to, again, compliment the elders I think you are doing a phenomenal job in this terrible task that you were in where we're trying to balance all of these weird, awful things. And so thank you for allowing all these variety of ways for us to continue to worship, worship God. I think that is phenomenal. Also, along the, or Jim speaking of elders, Jim, Jim mentioned to me right before I came up here that their relative was located or found this afternoon. Everything's fine, but they're all gonna go up there tomorrow uh, just to make sure things are going okay. So keep them in your prayers as they travel. I know there are other people that are on the prayer re- prayer request. Uh, I got a text message uh, around 3.15 this afternoon that my first cousin, Jeremy, had just tested positive for COVID. So keep Jeremy and the Jones family. They've, kind of like my family did, it well, took a little longer to get through them. Uh, but uh, keep Jeremy in your prayers. He's supposed to go for his infusion on Tuesday. Hope that goes well. And I want to address a subject that has nothing to do with the lesson at all tonight, but it has something to do that. Um, I asked Jeremy if I could mention his name before I called it out and the reason I did was, of course, there's some respect there. You know, I understand some people are private, but I have assisted in the, the treatment of about two dozen patients now that have COVID. Every one of them that I have worked with or they have asked me of my thoughts or my opinions have told me the same thing. It's my fault. I forgot to do this and they find one random thing they did one time. It is not your fault if you catch COVID. Be very clear. It's not your fault. And let me tell you something else. If you've been pointing the finger at somebody because they got COVID, stop it. It is a virus, it is microscopic, it's the size of a protein, and it can get anywhere it wants to go. Okay? Now, the reason I'm saying that so forcefully is... is I don't think we're doing our our people and our family members any justice whenever we make them feel like they have a scarlet letter on them because they test positive for COVID. And so the reason I'm saying that is be very aware and it's a ministry, it's actually part of my treatment protocol now. And the fourth bullet of my treatment protocol is, no matter what anyone says no matter what anything does, you're gonna stay off social media, you're gonna stay positive, and you're gonna pray. That's my fourth step. Because I've seen that in my own life when I had COVID, we have convinced everybody they're gonna pass away if they get COVID. And it is a, that is the mental side of COVID. And so as you put people in your prayers, like my cousin Jeremy for COVID, Put that in your prayers as well. If they come over, they get over those feelings because those are not good feelings. Uh, when you're already trying to fight a virus, you don't need that side of it as well. So keep that in mind as you go through. Uh, it is no it is no one's fault if that happens to you. And if it happens to you, you know, if you want to go on the prayer list, prayer list we will happily pray for you. And if you don't, I, we understand that as well. Uh, but always be aware that God's prayers are very, very, very powerful. And so with that, I do want to start the class with a prayer and then we'll get into our, lex- our lesson text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are awesome and almighty and powerful and you are our creator. And Lord, as we look outside today with the sunshine, Heavenly Father, and though it is late in August, because of the rain you have caused to fall, everything is still green and lush, Heavenly Father. Lord God, we are aware of things that are going on in our country and around the world, Heavenly Father, and people are struggling in various ways, Heavenly Father. The virus right now is, is very strong and we know, Lord, that you are where we should put our focus, Heavenly Father. For we know to live is Christ and to die is gain, Lord. And we know, Heavenly Father, that if we put our faith in you, Lord. We will never be let down. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be with all those that are sick, whether it be with COVID or any other ailment or illness, Heavenly Father. We pray that you will be with those affected by the storms. Uh, we know that there are some family members, Heavenly Father, to this congregation. We pray that you will be with both them in the recovery. Uh, the mental toll that loss of property causes from something like a flood, uh, the mental toll of losing loved ones in that flood, Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that you will also be with those that will be traveling in that area, keep them all safe, help them return uh, safely, Heavenly Father. Lord God, we pray that you will help us to look to your Son as the ultimate example, uh, to live like Heavenly Father, that we will try to be like Him, that we will be His image on earth, Heavenly Father, so when people look at us, they see Christ. Lord, is in your great and holy Son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Alright, so it's just kind of weird, because the first class we did, we did, and then we introduced the topic, and then the second week, we went virtual completely, and then week three, we had um, a missionary here, and so now we're in week four, but week three of the study text. So I want, y'all know I'm really big on review, and so I always want to go back and just give quick hit reminders of what we have studied, and I want to run over those things, because if we run over those things, my goal is for this text and this knowledge to be permanently embedded in your brain, as opposed to hearing it just once. If I can make you remember it, you're going to remember it for longer. and Hopefully that means you can use it uh, for longer. So we started in Genesis 1, even though this is a study of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and specifically the life of Christ. We started in Genesis 1. And we learned in Genesis 1 that man and woman were created on day 6. And they were charged initially with two responsibilities. Responsibility number one be fruitful and multiply. Responsibility number two they were to take care of the earth. That was it. Wouldn't life have been grand? Oh, and let's not forget, God lived in the garden, walked with them, and they could go in that garden where the tree of life was. That all was there. But then sin entered the world. Because God told them, he said, you're to be me. You're to be." They, he, they were created in his image, and they were going to be God-like. They were going to do things on earth like God did in heaven, like tend and take care of the earth. But then when sin entered the world, we, mankind, could not image God anymore. See, God is perfect, God is pure and good, and we aren't. So, if you remember that first class, I used the analogy of a mirror. We broke our own mirror, we couldn't reflect God anymore. We needed someone to fix the mirror, and so, enter Christ, God's Son. And so, Jesus was part of the entire Old Testament text. For some reason, we don't think he's there, but he was. He was there the whole time. Uh, Everything that was made on earth was made by him and through him. We know that he's described as the word in John 1. So he literally wrote the Old Testament. Think about that. I personally believe there were multiple actions, and you may think of some as I say this, that I think he was actually on earth doing things during the Old Testament. One that people oftentimes point to is Daniel in the lion's den, right? Who was that guy? Looks like the son of man. Walking around in there. Who was that? And then there's other phrases in the Old Testament, specifically when it calls out a very specific angel. And that angel is referred to as the angel of God. And that angel is different than every other angel ever mentioned. Study him. He's very interesting. And then what about the cloud and the fire that the Jews had? What was that? Was it just cloud and a fire, or were they being led by somebody? So don't ever discredit that Jesus was alive and well throughout the entire Old Testament. And then when the time was right, when the plan of salvation was finally fully realized, he was sent on earth. Now, I chose to start this class after we went through God created us in his image. We're supposed to be his image. We broke it, and so we had to send Christ. But I chose to start at the very end of Jesus' life, on on the cross. Now, the reason I started on the cross, if you might remember if you got to watch that lesson that night, was because I don't know of a single... I'm going to say 18-hour period where there are more examples of obedience in the entire scripture. I'm going to say that again. I don't know in the entire set of scriptures in a single 18-hour session where there are more acts of obedience carried out. So what we did was we've broken this down into three lessons about the cross. Lesson one was on the way to the cross, and that's the one I taught virtually. So if you haven't watched that one, go back, catch up. It's fine. It uplo- it's uploaded. I actually went back and watched it myself. I self-review how I teach, so I know where I mess up, need to fix. And so I went back and I listened to it again. And where we go over that particular section was where Jesus was on the way to the cross. And I walked through the, the moment that he obeyed God. And they're like, well, yeah, he obeyed God to the cross. No, it was more than that. It was, it was more than that because every time he got hit, he could have stopped. Every time he got slapped or insulted, he could have stopped. Every time. And I don't think we realize just how intense that temptation was. And what I don't understand is we talk about the temptations of Jesus' life and we act like that 40-day period where he got taken down to the desert And those temptations, well, like that's the only time he ever got tempted. Is that what the Bible teaches us? Is it? No. What the Bible teaches us, he was tempted like us in every way. I've never been tempted like this. Never. But I'm told in my Christian life, I'm going to be a good Christian, I am supposed to be like Christ. The world should look at me and see Christ. It shouldn't be a hard decision to figure out if this person's a Christian or not. Because, see, Jesus kind of stood out from a crowd. There was never a more polarizing individual on the face of the earth than Jesus Christ. Never. I mean, really think about that. He was such the image of God, people bowed at his feet and cleaned his feet with their tears and their hair, and there are people that spit on him and hit him. You ever see anybody spit or hit God today? No, they can't do that physically, but do they do it? Do they reject God just because they hate him? Why are they so angry at somebody they don't exist, they, don't, they do not believe exist? You ever thought about that? If he doesn't exist, why are you so angry at him? And why does it bother you that I think he does? They don't realize they're confessing his existence in their very own behavior. But in this 18 hour, and like I said, and I know we don't know the exact number of hours except for the time he was actually on the cross. He was tested multiple times. And so we went through the path of the cross and I ended that lesson with, as he's walking, he's just falling underneath the load. And as he's walking... He just does an about face and he talks to a group of women that are mourning behind him. And if you listen to that, what I tried to bring out was there is a Roman cohort around him. He has just fallen and they're so concerned about getting him to Golgotha. They pick up the beam of the cross, they throw it on another guy in the crowd and they say, get up and go. And He just stops on the pathway turns around because it says they were behind him and he gives them a lesson And nobody stopped him nobody hit him He just turned around and talked that's god that's the difference And I talked about that that would you have had the compassion at that exact moment to turn around And comfort someone. Because see, if you're not, you're not fulfilling the image of Christ. That's not being mean. We've all sinned and come short of the glory. We know that. But what I'm trying to challenge you is, is if you're struggling with a small section of obedience, this is a very challenging text we go through. Because I don't know of a tougher thing you can obey. Because see, what we know is... We became the sacrifice... Or excuse me, I said that totally wrong. Jesus became the sacrifice... So God's wrath wouldn't be poured out on us. So whose wrath was being poured out on Jesus Christ... Was it the crowds? Was it the soldiers? Was it pilots or the Romans? Mm -mm. Whose was it? It was God's wrath. that's right. So there's certain things about this crucifixion that are unique compared to other crucifixions that happened. One is the brutality of the beating at the beginning. And then two is the mob that was surrounding it. And then three, I was just checking the time. I promise I wasn't getting a text message or something. You never had to worry about that when you had watches back in the day, right? But the third thing is, is... There's another event that I mentioned in that class that I'm referring back to. There was another event that was going on simultaneously. In Jerusalem, at the exact moment, Jesus was being carried to the cross. Excuse me. Wrong phrase. Walked to the cross. What weekend was Jesus crucified on? Passover. What happened on Passover weekend, Brother Jim? How many lambs got sacrificed in the city of Jerusalem? Yes. Every family remember the Passover event. Every family had to bring an unspotted lamb, and that lamb had to be killed and then cooked a certain way, and the blood had to be put over the, the doorpost. Passover feast represented that. And every family that was a Jew came to Jerusalem. and they went into the temple It's going to be a very important part of the story in a little bit They went into the temple and they, they gave their lambs to the priests. And the priest slit the ram's throat, the lamb's throat. But it, it didn't like it just like killed it and it was over with. The blood had to be poured out over the altar so the altar could be purified. And blood had to drip down over the altar. It had to fill a puddle around the ground. For every family in Jerusalem. And not a single one of those lambs saved anybody. That's literally happening across the city. Is there another lamb? That's right. Let's talk about the altar. If you think about the cross as that altar of rocks... Was the cross covered in blood? This is where you need to respond, not me. Yes. Did it pull on the ground? Was it poured out literally? Yes. It is not a coincidence that it was the same weekend. I don't know why we don't talk about that more. Maybe because we don't know our Jewish history as well as we should. But the real lamb was being slaughtered in one place. And all the substitutes were being slaughtered somewhere else. There was blood everywhere in Jerusalem. But there was only one spot where it really mattered. In the whole city. So let's get this straight. You got one whole, one whole side of the city trying to act like they're worshiping God while they're crucifying him on the other side of the city chanting about it. Oh, the irony. The disgust that God would have had just looking down on that scene. Now, that was just for the wrath of the people of Jerusalem. That, that's, that's not including our sins. Or the 6,000 years of sins before that. Now, why am I telling you all this? I'm not trying to make you sad. I just want you to see this obedience in a different light. Because right at the very beginning, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 27, verse 33. Right at the very beginning of the crucifixion, something very important happens, and I think we oftentimes under this. I think it's very, very important. And I think maybe it's because we're afraid we don't know what it means or we think it's a prophecy that's being fulfilled, and I think that's true. But there's another part of this I want to make sure you don't miss. But verse 33, it says, And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, verse 34, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, is what some translations say. Other translations are, I think Luke actually says myrrh. Depends on what you're looking at there. But when he tasted it, He would not drink it. Okay. Why would he not drink it? What? So let's get this straight. What he said was it was a painkiller. That's totally true. It's not because it tasted bitter. He didn't want anything. You're right. He didn't want anything for pain. Why? What? It's okay. It's tough to talk about. I get it. Why? Do what now? Excellent point. Thank you. I didn't even think about that when I was studying for this. That's right. The other lambs didn't get a painkiller. Yeah. Yes, there was. Another fulfillment of prophecy where they said they would offer him something bitter and he would not take it. So yes, we have a fulfillment of prophecy. There's a saying that I was taught when I was a young manager. The easy road is often the hard road. And what we typically mean when we say that is if you always take the easy road in life, you're probably gonna have a harder road. Now, I would have taken the painkiller because I'm selfish and I'd have been like, okay, this is fixing to get real bad. I think I've done enough. I'm at least gonna knock this lump, I'm gonna numb it a little bit. Now this was a commonly th- common thing done to Two people that were being crucified before they got on before they were actually Dropped in the hole so to speak and so what's really really important here is He didn't take the easy path It may be because the easy path would have prolonged how long he had to hang there until god's wrath was satisfied It may be what brother jim said and the fact that pain was a part of it. I don't know But I hope you look at that verse and don't just skip over it as though. Yep That's just part of it. He didn't want it because it was bitter no, that wasn't the case. I don't or at least I don't believe it was the case. Verse 35, this group of soldiers that has berated him, beaten him, mocked him, etc., says that when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. The image I get is a group of soldiers that are they're completely numb to the three people hanging from the crosses behind them. They They're so comfortable with this. It's just just routine life. And it's kind of like how I think sin is getting to be in America, where we've just gotten so numb to seeing it, we don't even think about it when it's there anymore. And they're just sitting down here. They are literally gambling for Jesus' clothes. That may be because they may have thought they were valuable clothing garments, and it may be because they had a celebrity's garments they could sell later on. Could you imagine what Jesus' tunic would be worth? Probably never thought about it from that perspective. Because you're not naturally evil. I don't know why. They just knew that it was valuable, so they cast lots over it. Those are the two, two ideas I had about it. Do you want Yes, it was prophesied. It had to happen. So what you're telling me is, make sure I understand this right. The people that did not believe in God, the people that crucified Jesus Christ, actually fulfilled a a prophecy. You ever thought about that? God gets his way. Yes. Yes, he was stripped. No doubt. Part of the humiliation. Then it gets down here, verse 37, it says, And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was a true statement. He was also king of the earth and the world. Verse 38, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. I want to pause right here for one second. We have always used the phrase thief on the cross. If you have a translation, it may just use the word criminal. I've learned recently that the word originally translated here, it really is just referring to a criminal. I don't really know at what point, because I'm not that good of a like, Bible historian—I mean, people that like translated Bibles—is what I'm talking about. I don't know what point he got converted, just a thief or robber. Uh, but it's not necessarily that they were thieves or robbers. These could have been murderers. These could be any number of things. We know that they were criminals. That's what the Greek word actually means. They're between two criminals, and those criminals are going to get really, really, really important in a few minutes. But I want you to look at verse 39. It says and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, "You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself." He didn't hear this once because the people that said it are listed in a plural stance. Now we know he was talking about his own body. We know that. They didn't, so okay, maybe Jesus lets that one slide. They're just ignorant. But let's keep going to the next one because it, it doesn't get better. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, let me tell you what Jonathan Farr would have done when that was said in my face. I'd have walked down, I'd have slapped you across the face, and then hopefully I would have gotten back up on the cross. But odds are, once I got down and slapped you, the angels were probably coming with me. You ain't doing that. Because he, here's the deal. The most... All inspiring thing of power is when you have the power to do something and you choose not to use the power. Not because you're a coward, but because simply abusing the power is wrong. Don't underestimate the mental side that Jesus was fighting. Because yes, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man when he was on that cross. So you think about the thoughts that went through his head, his human brain. But see, we tell people lies nowadays that they can't control their own thoughts, they can't control these own things, when in fact, you can discipline yourself. I don't mean hurting your body. I mean, you can literally train yourself not to say certain things to yourself. And that's weird. We don't talk about self-talk very much in church. It's uncomfortable. We don't like talking about that. But in reality, you can. And he's practiced this his whole life. He lets this one go. I wouldn't have. But see, that's why I needed Jesus is because without him, I'm lost. I can't be made perfect without him. Because, I mean, I told you all the last time I did this at the point I would have already, already quit when the reeds hit my head. Probably before that. But I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have made it to this point for sure. But if I did, for some reason, that one would have hit me between the eyes and I would have come out swinging. I'm just not that good person. Verse 41, so also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, now these are the guys that had an illegal trial and beat him up all night before he got to Pilate. They've already had their fun with him. And oh, by the way, they're the ones that are supposed to be the religious people. People are supposed to be nice people. People are supposed to be the examples of how to behave. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. What an insult. If you do this one last miracle, we'll believe in you then. Dead people have been raised. Thousands of people walking around without leprosy. Thousands of people walking around without issues. Because remember, John says that if the works were contained, the world would not hold what all he did. Never get the impression that there was only a couple of blind people healed. That is not at all what the Bible says. But oh, 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 that's it. If I can get off a piece of wood with three nails in it, that'll make you believe. That, see, again, if I made it past the last one, when the chief priest said that, he was getting slapped. And I know I'm trying to humanize this, and I'm not, I'm not, I want you to know I'm not, making, I'm not trying to belittle the cross. I want you to see the human side of these insults. There is a reason these words are put in the Bible. They're not just here for folly. God doesn't just throw random words. There was more than this said. I firmly believe it. I think these are the ones that hurt the most. That's my opinion. You can debate me. That's fine. That's my opinion. Because see, God's a jealous God. He wants no know God's before him. And he doesn't like being mocked. And all these are mocks. Let's keep going. Verse 43. Now we're going to get to his faith. He trusts in God. In other words, he has faith in God. Let God deliver him now. So now they are mocking God Almighty. And I want you to notice the timeline that something happens here. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. If God desires his own son. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers or the criminals, whichever word that's in your Bible, who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now we're going to go to a different text for just a minute. We're going to come back to Matthew. So flip over to Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. I'm going to give you just a second because I don't want to run out of time. And if you have like a keep your finger in Matthew 27, if you have a piece of paper. A bulletin, slide it in here because we're going to come right back to this text in just a second. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you were under the same sentence of condemnation. In other words, dude, you're literally going to make your ma- meet your maker in a few minutes. That's how we'd say it in today's English. That you're going to be dead by the end of the day and you're mocking this guy? Now, again, I am not trying to be disrespectful of the text. I'm converting it to English that we use today. Got in trouble for that one time. Not here, never here. Just saying, like, I went too far with my analogy. I'm just using that as an example. I don't want to be insensitive to that. Verse 41, this is a great statement. And we indeed justly... There's a movie, and I'm not endorsing this movie, but there's a line in it. It's called The Shawshank Redemption. There's a line in it where he says he was the only guilty man in Shawshank. Because none of the criminals admitted that they did anything wrong. And this guy, hanging on the cross, said, Dude, we deserve to be here. We are bad people. That is a rare trait in criminals. Very rare. He says, We, we, we were here. We should be here. And we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. In other words, we did an act that was heinous, and now we're being hung for it. We deserve to die for what we did. In other words, he's saying, I did something so bad, I deserve to be hanging here. I don't know what they did, but it's hard for me to believe he was a thief. That's why I think it's interesting. In Luke, it says criminal. In this particular, same translation, but anyways. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, that was what Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now I want you to flip back over to Matthew 27. I'm going to make a comment on this real quick. I think this is very, very important. The criminal or thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into... Now, I am not an English scholar, but the way he phrased that is talking about something coming in the future. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Was this man an apostle of Jesus Christ? Was he a disciple of Jesus Christ? Not that we know of, but I'm going to say he might have been. And here's why. How many people that followed Jesus Christ got the fact that he was not supposed to be an earthly king? How many times did he have to tell his own apostles, I'm not going to be your king? But this random dude on the cross hanging with him says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he have more wisdom than the apostles? I have no idea. I can tell you very good people have been known to do very bad things. So don't just throw him away with the dishwasher because he was hung beside Christ. You've probably never thought about it from his perspective. Probably never even noticed the fact that he had more wisdom than the, I would say, 12, but one's dead now. So 11 apostles. But what was Jesus' response? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now I am not going to go into derailment of salvation. Because to be frank unless you can put yourself in that exact situation, don't try to use this as an example of salvation. Unless you're hanging with Jesus Christ and you defend him in front of a mob, then yeah, you're golden, use it. But I don't think anyone on this earth can recreate this particular moment in time. And by the way, Jesus has been berated, mocked, etc. Now I said I ought to come down and slap people. What Jesus do? What? He saved someone, didn't he? I'm sorry, I can't actually hear what you said. I just assumed that what you said was that. Jonathan Farrell would have slapped somebody. Jesus Christ saved somebody. See, when the New Testament says he's the exact imprint of God, And if you remember that very first lesson we went through, all those parts where he said he is the image of God. See, we were created in the image. We're supposed to look like God, but he says he is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of God. This is what God does. No matter how bad it is, he's still looking to save somebody. But there's a word he used where it says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that word trips us up. But I want to do a quick, short, way too short a study on this particular word. I think it's important. So if you remember, this class started in Genesis 1. And I mentioned the garden and the tree of life. The word that's used to describe the garden and the tree of life where God lived and where Adam and Eve were kicked out of is the same word used here. Means the same thing. In other words, you are going to be in the presence of God today. We have no need to fear COVID. We have no need to fear anything on this earth if you believe that. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a very bad day in the thieves', day, in the thieves life. I mean, he was literally hanging on a cross dying. And he got himself saved Right before he passed away. See, that's the difference in us and God. God was looking for someone to save. Jesus was looking for someone to save. Jonathan would have been looking for somebody to hit. Because I'm angry, right? They've been hitting me, I get to hit back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Now let's keep going. We're going to finish the time on the cross I will not be here next Sunday. I have to go staff my Huntsville pharmacy. But Guy Garner, I believe, and you're in a tree, is going to do the very last parts of the cross. I'm not going to be able to have time to get to those tonight. But there are some acts of obedience that are very unique at the very, very end of the cross. While he's not yet passed away, but is not going to be covered in this text. So make sure you come back next Sunday. Or tune in next Sunday. So here we go. Verse... 45, back in Matthew 27, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 45. So we just got this insult of faith. I know I went on major derail with a thief, and we come right back where they said, he trusted God. will not you look what happens when that statement is made in the context of this? It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. I find it interesting that when they come in, they when they got so brazen to say, if God likes him, let God save him. What is Jesus described as in points of the Bible? He is the water of the world? Isn't it interesting when they mocked God in his favor of Jesus Christ, the light of the world just dis- turned off? Just poof. God said, oh, you want to know if I'm around? Click. Turned off his light bulb. What I love is in Luke, where we were just at, and I don't have time to run back there real quick, but look at like that same text the way we were in Luke. It says, the sun's light failed. The sun's light failed. This wasn't an eclipse, because eclipses last somewhere between three and nine minutes for the most part. This was a three-hour event. It literally said the sun couldn't get to earth. Why is that? You will help people try to say that we know the earth's been here for billions of years because the sun's so far away. No. No. God brings the sun from the light from the sun to us, and he can turn it off whenever he wants to. Because Jesus is the light of the world. And when you mock. Whether or not God had favor in Christ, he turned off his light bulb. What astounds me is that just a few weeks from now, only 3,000 are saved. And the reason I say that is they were all over there cutting lambs' throats, and the sun went out, and what else happened? I'm asking y'all. The earth shook. Let's get this straight. The light turns off. The earth shakes. I'm probably thinking the world's coming to an end. Do what? Oh, yeah, that's a whole other issue. Then the dead get raised and start talking to them. What else? They're cutting lambs' throats in the temple. And the veil of the temple gets torn in two. From top down. And that's why Jerry's comment this morning made me think about this, because I personally believe Jesus Christ tore it himself. Why? Because he is the one that talks to God for us. We don't need a priest anymore to go behind that curtain. And I guarantee you, those chief priests, they got the message. They didn't care, but they got The message. So I tell that veil is ripped top to bottom. If I'm a Jew and I'm standing in line with my lamb, I go, I'm gonna catch y'all later. That's me. That hard Roman soldier though, did he get it? Like I said, God's gonna do the very end of the cross. But there's a verse that I love, and I want to end on that. There's a, one of the descriptions, I believe it is in Luke. Excuse me, it is in Mark, I believe. Where it says, the Romans, said, the Romans saw, saw the way he breathed his last. That's the only text I know that it says it that way. All the rest of them, you get the impression that the light's going off and the, the earthquake. All that was why he was God's son. But I believe it is Mark's gospel. That says, the way he breathed his last. All we know is he cried out with a loud voice before he died. Now, we know some words that he said. But it may be entirely possible that that was a godly cry, not a human cry. And I'll tell you why, or excuse me, God will. But it has something to do with what happened at the very end of the cross. And you know it if you're a Bible scholar. Whenever Jesus didn't understand why God had forsaken him. And Mark says that Roman looked up at him and said, this man was what? He was the son of God. Yes, Mark 16. I knew I read it on the, this afternoon, but I could not recall it. Thank you, Mark 16. 30 1530. I knew it wasn't 16. Thank y'all. All right, as you all know, the Lord's invitation is always open. If you have heard anything tonight you have questions about or you need to respond to God's invitation anyway, we have a couple of elders up here. Uh, You're welcome to come talk to them. You're welcome to question me or talk to me. Let's end in a prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Son and his obedience and his willingness to die for us to save us from our sins. Lord, let us remember that as we go through this week, Lord, that we were bought with a price. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.